Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Personal Finance brought to you by Liberty, your financial partner, on however and whenever you picture retirement. You can live it your way. Hashtag in it with you. Liberty Group is an authorized FSP. T's and C's apply. Warren Ingram is an executive director at Galileo Capital. He's a personal financial advisor. Why are we so worried about rising American inflation, Warren? It's the it's the probably the biggest risk uh, that that investors in America and and therefore around the world are worried about to to what's going on with with the stock market. Uh, you know, in in the states and everywhere else, because at the moment uh, the, the the central bank in America, the Fed, are doing everything they can to keep the the U.S. economy going and and also keeping the, the American stock market going. And the way that they do that is with incredibly low interest rates, and and at the same time they're pumping in lots and lots of uh, of of kind of money into the into the financial system in America. So so the availability of money. Is, is vast and at the same time interest rates are incredibly low and both of those conditions are great for you know stock market investors for companies themselves that want to borrow at very low rates for people who want to buy houses and you know you know and consume uh, things like cars on debt etc all of those are are, are are really big beneficiaries of of this interest rate environment that we're in at the moment in America and so What's the big tool that uh, the federal uh, the Fed will use in the states to stop inflation will unfortunately be interest rates. So if they are worried that inflation starts to become an issue, then they're going to need to raise interest rates, and that has a whole lot of knock-on consequences because all of a sudden, the you know people, companies can't borrow money as cheaply as they could in the past. Uh, individuals can't, so they'll be spending less, and potentially we see. You know, we, we see big knock-on effects then in the stock markets and and the bond markets. So it is the big scary thing that that, that people are worried about. And it's almost as if you know, inflation. We've been waiting for inflation to show its face for since what 2009 when the u.s fed started pouring money into the financial system they poured trillions of dollars into the financial system and inflation didn't come because there just wasn't the huge demand that drove inflation now this time it feels as if it might be different or is it really this is i suppose the the great unknown when it comes to what's happening in financial markets at the moment and that's why i think everybody is as apprehensive as they are. I don't want to use the word scared. I think apprehensive is better. Yep. Uh, um, and, and I think also just to understand that that uh, all of our economics textbooks uh, weren't written for the, the situation we face uh, we face today. And and so all, all of us are watching this and saying, you know, th- this was really, a, you know, started by a big gamble by Ben Bernanke. Um, and, and, you know, it looked like it worked out very well. Uh, and and so you know this this inflation fear it didn't materialize after the, the, the you know the, the 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 great financial crisis the Chinese would call it the great American crisis um, and and so you know the inflation fear went away and and I think largely because Americans can export a lot of their manufacture to to places like China and and other parts of of, of the world. And so as long as they're able to do that, then the, the, the rising labor prices in America are just not a factor because if, if labor prices rise, Americans just export their manufacture more. And now the, the reason why, why there is a fear that this might not be the same this time around 
is, you know, this, this move to manufacture more in America, which was started by Trump and certainly being accelerated by Biden, means that uh, companies will be less uh, inclined to export and then, or, sorry, export their, their manufacture. And, and then the other big thing is that, that we saw in lockdown last year that pretty much everything in the world at some point, if it's manufactured somewhere along the line, something uh, th th that is needed in the manufacture of whether it's a car or a computer or a cell phone uh, has to go through Wuhan. And, and so, uh, you know, what people have realized with their big supply chains and their, and, and, and their big sort of manufacturing networks is that they're not as diversified as everyone thought. And so it seems to be the, the, the trend now to say, well, we might manufacture in a place like China and, and, and in, in the Far East, but we're also going to have to manufacture in America. And that might cause uh, the, 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 this labor inflation to start rising again. And, 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 you know, rising inflation is a scary thing because it, it's like a snowball going down a hill. In, initially, it doesn't seem to, to be too much of an issue. And then all of a sudden you get flattened by this massive monster that just takes you out and it's something you just can't stop. We forget because many of us were either not alive or not conscious of what was going on in the world in the 1970s. But the 1970s had scary inflation like we had in South Africa in the 1990s. Um, 1990s, we saw inflation rates here north of 25%. Well, interest rates north of 25%. Inflation was running in the 20s. It was terrifying. The value of our money was being um, corroded in front of our very eyes. It was, you know, inflation is a terrifying it's like getting rust in your favorite, you know, your, the, your, your favorite motor car and the rust just won't stop. <laughs> Never heard that one before. That's fabulous. So, Thank so you. you're right. Because it is. It's corrosive <laughs> and it, it, it eats away at, the, at your beautiful thing. And unfortunately, there isn't a, it's not like a stock market crash where, where, you know, where you and I'll be talking about it and, and raising an alarm for people to, to be thinking about it. The, you know, it just, it just gradually eats away at the value of everything. And, and, you know, people wake up in two, three years time and realize that the buying power of their money has, has, has dissipated. So, so it is really a, a, a big issue. And, and so central banks all around the world, South Africa is no different. They watch inflation really closely. So, so the question is then: Is it is it different this time? You know, should we be panicking? And and I think uh, you know to start, any economic prediction should be treated with disdain. So, so I, I, don't, I don't want to pretend that I my crystal ball is perfect and I know exactly how this is going to unfold. But but what I would say is that that uh, you know the, the sort of protectionism that we saw from from Donald Trump's uh, America seems to have dissipate, dissipated a lot under Biden's America. And, th and that's a very big protection to, to, to kind of runaway inflation, because if if countries are, are more inclined to stay in this sort of globalized world and to trade with each other and to manufacture around the world and, and to then potentially outsource parts of their manufacture to different countries around the world, not just all in China, of course, then, uh, the, then the potential for runaway inflation just is not as great as it would have been when, when you know, as you say, in the 70s, America was much more protectionist then, and, and they were all about kind of looking after their own economy first. Uh, and, and that causes a lot of, uh, a lot of fear and, and potentially then it creates a hot house of inflation. So, so I think that we, we, we are a little bit protected just because of this globalization trend. So, so we need to see that that continues. And, and secondly, I think the Chinese, you know, if they are the big manufacturing sector of the world, and we see that they go into a kind of inflation bubble. The one difference between China and, 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 and the U.S. in terms of the two major economies is that the Chinese government will simply change the laws. 
you know, they'll just simply change the, the rules of the game to, to make sure that in, they control inflation. Uh, and, and they've got many more levers than, than the American government has to, to sort this out. So, so I think that, uh, you know, I'm not saying that they'll come up with the most productive levers always, but, but the point is they've got more levers. And, and so I think that we would see inflation dissipating much more quickly than we've seen in the past. But it is something that's of concern. And I think also for stock market investors, it's not necessarily that inflation you know, arises and then causes the problem. It's actually that people anticipate and try and second guess when inflation is going to arise. And, and then all of a sudden we see markets fall over. And, and I think that's what we've, we've seen in the last couple of weeks. You know, people are saying, wow, look at the inflation rates in March and, 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 and look at April and, and you know, potentially May. And they're forgetting that prices collapsed a year ago. So, so looking at the change in prices from April 2020 to April 2021 is silly because you know, prices literally hit a wall. You know, the economy just sure. stopped a year ago. So tell me what we should be doing, Warren. I, I, I don't think that you're buying that the inflation boogeyman is here just yet. He may, he's, he's maybe waking up a little bit, uh, but he's, he's not yet sort of coming out from under the bed and rampaging through, um, the, through, through, through the China cupboard in the house. Um, he is, he is he's, you know, potentially waking up, but we shouldn't be too frightened of the damage he can cause just yet. No, I, I agree, and and I think you know using your rust analogy, it's you know it's it's far too soon to to throw the car away, um, you know, in, because you see one little brown spot somewhere. I, I think it, it's it's potentially a, a fear that we we should be aware of, and what investors should be doing in a situation like this is just make sure you've got a proper spread of assets, you know, both in South Africa and globally. Don't be overexposed, for example, to government bonds around the world. Uh, because if if interest rates do rise, then you know that that will hurt the price of government bonds, and that will be bad for investors. And at the same time, don't be overexposed to to shares in the tech sector, for example, which might fall a lot more than you know some of the unloved parts of the American market. And then you know don't be overexposed to America. So so I think a lot of common sense is 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 required here. And I know that that's an unusual thing to say in investing, but common sense with a bit of diversification or a lot of diversification and, and then just look through this market cycle. You know, people get very short-term focused when when, when things are, are looking a bit scary and, and people become a bit fearful. And, and you know, this might represent an opportunity for people to be buying shares if the market does take a knock or, you know, it might just be a little dip and, and people sell in panic and, and market recovers and move, moves on. So, so I would say long-term focus, lots of diversification and very little panic are, are, are the, the, the prescription for that little bit of rust on the car. Uh, very little panic seems to be the solution to absolutely every investment conundrum um, in the world. It really is. And uh, I think we've learned from the various crises, certainly in my um, working memory, um, that those who panic get hurt the hardest and get the hurt the most because they, they panic and they stay panicked until um, the recovery has taken hold, by which time they've lost out on any potential upside. But anyway, that's a discussion for another day. Warren Ingram is our guest this evening. He is with Galileo Capital. In a moment, Warren, I want to talk about uh, the idea of locking in interest rates. got an email from Gaynor. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about Gaynor's email in just a moment. Retirement should be on 
your terms. And whether you're looking forward to adventuring, entrepreneurship or making time for relationships that matter, however you envisage it, uh, being able to retire your way takes planning and commitment from saving, investing and protecting yourself against risks. Liberty partners with you to get retirement ready. Speak to a financial advisor today to achieve the financial independence to live your ideal retirement. Hashtag retire my way. Hashtag in it with you. Liberty Group is an insurer and authorised FSP, T's and C's apply. These days, your weekends might look a little... The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Email from Gaynord. Hello, Warren and Brute. Why do people always say Warren first? It makes no sense to me. <laughs> it's a stupid question anyway. I'm not going to answer it. Um, no, it's a lovely question. Um, Gaynor says, hello, Warren um, and Bruce. Uh, when the interest rates went down and bond rates went up, I frequently heard it said that we should invest in government bonds and lock in our interest rate, which at the time was 9%. I, ins- I assumed that meant that the interest rate of 9% per annum was guaranteed. Please explain how the interest rate gets locked in if you buy a government bonds ETF where the price fluctuates on a daily basis. Basis. I bought the Absa New Funds Govy ETF and my statement doesn't show any interest, only market movement. I expected that the price of the ETF would fluctuate, but that interest would be added on a monthly or quarterly basis. This is not reflected in my account. How does this work? What a good question, Gain, or even though you put Warren's name first. Um, th- th- thank you, Gano. I'm glad you recognize the quality and, and I'll, be, <laughs> I'll be glad to answer your question for the next hour if you'd like. So... Um, so, so I think just there are a couple of things. So if you bought one bond, and let's just say, you know, the most kind of quoted bond in South Africa is the R186. Uh, and and when it was issued, it had an interest rate of 10.5%. So if you bought it on the day it was, it was listed and, 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 and issued to investors, you would have been able to lock in that interest rate of 10.5%. And, and so, it, it, you know, your, your interest rate would have then carried on for all the time that you were the holder of that investment. And then, you know, if it matured, they would have given you your money back. However, when you buy an exchange-traded fund, and especially something like this, which is, which is based on the, on the all-bond index, in other words, you know, the, the most uh, big liquid bonds on, on, the, on the bond market, then you need to understand that you've actually got a, a compilation of bonds. And, and just looking at them, uh, you know, the, the 10 biggest bonds in the portfolio, they, they have a whole range of interest rates from 7% right up to, to 10.5%. So, so it's true that, uh, that they are paying a higher bond or interest rate on those bonds than, than you would earn today, you know, if you put your money in the money market account. But the thing is that, that uh, you know, bonds come into the index and go out of the index depending on when they mature. And you know, the bond market isn't a static thing. So, so you, unfortunately, you're not going to lock in a, a rate on a particular day. Uh, you, you know, you're just going to get the, the average of all of those bonds together and, and the rate that they're paying. But what's interesting for, for Gaynor is I'm surprised that she's not seeing the interest because if I look at the, 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 the thing called the fact sheet, so, so I have to say that carefully, uh, th- then you'll see that it's paying out a, about 8.3% interest uh, per month at the moment, or per year, but paid per out year. monthly. Yeah, I'll, 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 take it, I'll take it. I'll take 8.3% per month, but I think that's called a different kind of scheme, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the Ponzi scheme. So, so, so 8.3% <laughs> a year, and uh, and it's paid on a monthly basis. So, so, so there sh- should definitely be 
uh, interest be, being paid out. It might be that the, the investment is just being reinvested. You know, that interest is automatically reinvested into the ETF. But, but certainly that is the advantage of this ETF is that it does pay out uh, every, every month. Okay, so um, again, I mean, if you if you're not sure about this, I mean, I would pop into a branch. I would uh, wear my mask. I would um, sanitize, and I would go into my branch and say, "Could you explain my statement to me?" Because I'm they'll be very nice about it. I'm sure, and uh, I'm sure that uh, I really doubt very much that you're being diddled. Um, but it, if it gives you peace of mind, um, just to get an explanation, that would be, I think, a useful solution, Warren. Yeah, m- most likely, uh, Bruce. This was bought via a stockbroker or or a platform rather than from from the bank. You know, it's just it's a, so the fact that it's issued by ABSA, m- most likely, again, or bought it from from a you know, as I say, a stockbroker or, or a platform. But 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 just to have a look at the actual detail of the account and the transaction statements, and then ask your your whoever it is that you bought it through, actually ask them what's going on and where the interest is. Pro- probably better that, that I can almost guarantee that a, a bank teller won't have the answer. Okay, all right. Um, thank you, Warren, for that. Um, phrase of the... Oh, where am I? Oh, uh, what is concentration <laughs> risk? <laughs> that was good, wasn't so, it? Uh, that was a, there was a moment. Uh, what is concentration no, you're risk? You're, you're on fire. You're on fire. So, uh, so, so concentration risk is is the opposite. Of, well, I, I guess it's what, what we always talk about with when people say, you know, don't you want to? Uh, aren't you afraid of putting all your eggs in one basket? And in the investment world, that means, for example, when you know when you start buying shares for the first time, that you take all the money and all of your life savings, and you go and you buy one share with all of that money. So, so you know, whether your life savings is 10,000 Rand or 10 million Rand, you say, let, let, let me go and, and buy that one, one share. And so now you, you've, you've taken, you know, your entire nest egg in life and you've put it in one thing. And if that one thing doesn't work out, you, you've got major risk. So, so it applies to, to any kind of investment uh, market. So it could be, for example, you know, p- people say, well, let me do buy to let properties, you know, residential properties which might make sense, but that means that you've, you, you own one asset. So for example, let's say you believe that you know, it's the right thing to do in Cape Town. What that means is you've bought only one type of asset, which is property in one city, in one country in the world, and that's concentration risk. So, so you, you know, the antidote to concentration risk is ma- make sure that you actually spread your investments across different types of assets and then in different kinds of countries as well uh, to, to make sure that you don't have all your eggs in that one proverbial basket. Fabulous. Thank you. Warren Ingram from Galileo Capital. He's a financial advisor and a director at Galileo Capital.